Okay, we're in Haggai chapter 1, and this morning, starting in verse 14, almost finished the first chapter of two, two chapters, so Haggai won't take too long to get through, probably not more than a year, <laughs> a month, another month. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the message we get through Haggai. Uh, it tells us about the power of your word to uh, accomplish your will in this world, to help us to, to uh, get ourselves going and, and uh, get motivated to do the things you want us to do, Lord. And, and we thank you for that. We thank you that you are there to, um, to encourage us, to uh, and, um, help us initiate action when necessary. And, and uh, we just trust in you to continue to do that in our own lives. Father, we pray you bless our uh, time now in your word. Help us to see the, the things you have for us here and to apply it in our lives. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. <coughs> okay, for reading, uh, we're going to start in chapter 1, verse 12, and go through chapter 2, verse 9. From 112 through one through 2, 9. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent them, and, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message to the Lord, <coughs> of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. On the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of the Darius the king. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the, Lord, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Speak now to Jerusalem, the son of Jehovah, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how does it seem to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is why I coveted with you when you let what came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, in a little while, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea also, and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. <clears throat> the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Okay. I'm thinking by the time we finish this book, we'll know who Zerubbabel's father's name was and what his office was, and same with Joshua. Uh, we see that repeated fairly often here. So last week we, we saw God made it very clear 
that he was keeping them from thriving and prospering because they were not building his temple. He made it very clear that he was the one who was uh, blowing away their wealth, blowing away the excess. He was the one who brought a drought upon them. Um, and so their uh, agriculture was stunted. And it was because all because they were not building his temple. So the people got the message. Um, they repented and they obeyed. Uh, and they again feared and honored God. And then we saw God's promise in verse 13 at the end of the verse. God says, I am with you. And so this gave the people the authority to build. It gave them uh, the provisions they needed. It gave them the protection they needed. And it guaranteed their success. If God is with you in fulfilling his command, he will make sure it happens. And so that's where we had ended last week. So today we're starting verse, look at verse 14 and 15 and finish up the first chapter. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of Darius, the king. So this tells us that the Lord stirs up the spirit of Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the remnant of the people. And this word stirred up literally means to wake up, to wake them up. And it's the idea of prompting or provoking someone or something to action. And it's not necessarily connected to spiritual or religious life. And so I want to look at some places it's used. Let's go back to 2 Samuel chapter 23. Second Samuel chapter 23 and verse 18. Someone like to read that? Outside, the brother of Joab, son of Zeruiah, the chief of the priests, he raised his spear against 300 men whom he killed, and so he became as famous as the three. Okay. You say he raised his spear. Mine says he swung his spear. Um, that's basically he stirred up his spear. That's our word. He awoke his spear. So it's used of an inanimate object. It was put to work. He pulled it. Well, I think if it was a sword, he would have pulled it out of its sheath and put it to work. Um, so it's used of inanimate objects. Let's look at Second Chronicles. Chapter 21. Second Chronicles chapter 21. And some would like to read verse 16 for us. And the Lord stirred up against Jehoram the spirit of the Philistines and the Arabs who bordered the Ethiopians. Okay, here we have stirred up their spirit. Well, this is the Philistines and Arabs. So it's used of uh, Israel's enemies. 
So again, it's not, it's not the idea of spiritual life like we would think of it. You know, it's, it's a general term of getting them to do something. Um, let's turn to Ezra, chapter 1. Ezra chapter 1 and verse 1. In the first year of Cyrus king of Persia, that the word of God by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus the king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout his kingdom and also put it in writing. Okay, so he stirs up the spirit of Cyrus. Well, Cyrus was not a Jew. He was not one of God's chosen people. So again, we're not talking about believers here. We're talking about a, a pagan king. Uh, but God stirs up his spirit to get him to, to do his will. And Cyrus was uh, unusual in that we we've saw through the prophets, his God prophesied by name like 80 years earlier that he would use Cyrus. He would bring Cyrus on the scene and use him. So... Uh, God stirred up his spirit. Uh, there's another place where Pol, P-U-L, was the king of Assyria, and God stirred up his spirit to come and attack the northern kingdom. Uh, staying in Ezra chapter 1, would someone like to read verse 5 for us? Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin Okay, it says everyone whose heart God had moved. Mine says everyone whose spirit God had stirred. So here, here we're talking about the Jews, and again, it's, it's to build the house. So 15 years earlier, God had stirred them up to go to Ju- uh, Judah to build his house. Uh, apparently they did not stay stirred. So <laughs> 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 he had to restir them. Um, and finally, let's, let's look at uh, Psalm 35. Psalm 35 and verse 23. Someone like to read that for us. Psalm 35, verse 23. Awake and rouse yourself from my vindication, for my cause, my God, and my Lord. Okay, so it's used of God too. But you know, you know, God didn't fall asleep. It's not wake up, God. You know, it's um, it's 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 a request that God be moved to action. Motivation. Mo- you know, to motivate or move to action. So that's what we have going on here. God moves the people to action. So after fifteen years of doing nothing. How does God motivate the people? How does he move them to action? What does he do? Or what did he do? Took away their wealth? That was working. That wasn't, no, they they, they didn't quite make the connection there. What actually triggered them to finally take action? I see it bringing these other people in. Other people... Hey guy, yes. <laughs> but then you have, you know, the, the motivators, Ezra, mm-hmm. you know, the, the promoter, and the promoters or the leaders. That would well, Joshua. Well, Ezra and Nehemiah came much later. But God, 
gods. There, there was kind of this in, inflection of people coming in to boost them, to stir them up. Zerubbabel and Joshua. Okay. He's, he's them he, up. he stirred them up. How, how does God stir up Zerubbabel and Joshua and the remnant of the people? He sends his word by Haggai. Isn't that a trick question? I think we're studying the book. <laughs> this is the main point of the lesson here. <laughs> Somehow I would have to stop and make sure we catch in that. Yes. Because yep. even if they aren't believers, here we see how God can stir up people, right. believers, not believers, enemies. Right. right. You know, one of the things that occurred to me is, you know, for 15 years they didn't do anything, but I'm sure there were some believers among the Jews who just were praying, God, stir up our leaders, stir up the people, that we will do that. And this was the answer to prayer. It doesn't tell us that here. But I wouldn't be surprised if that was part of what was going on. Um, it was the message from the prophet. Um, and that's what stirred them up. And it's, you know, it's typical of a, prof, of a prophet's message. First, there's condemnation of their sin. This is what you're doing wrong. And then there's a call to repentance. You know, change. Stop doing this. Change and do something else. And then it's followed by the command to act. This is what I want you to do. So that's kind of that structural outline of just about every prophecy you see uh, going through the scriptures. And then finally, we saw in verse 8, 13, God gives them his assurance that he would give them success. So as you, go, as you read through the prophets, you'll see that over and over again. And that's what Haggai came with. You know, it's a short message. He doesn't beat on them. He doesn't harangue them. He doesn't, you know, there's no threatening or begging or repetition or any great oratory or anything like that or any scholarly argument. It's just nice and simple and succinct. But it's God's word. And that's what stirred them up. Let's look at uh, First Thessalonians, Thessalonians chapter 2. First Thessalonians chapter 2, and someone like to read verse 13 for us. For this reason we also constantly thank God when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Okay, the word of God is powerful, it performs its work, and they accepted the gospel message as God's word. It wasn't human wisdom or human oration. It was just God's word, and it performed its work. And let's turn to Isaiah 55, which is one of my favorite verses. Isaiah chapter 55, and someone like to read verse 11 for us. Okay, God's word is powerful. It will accomplish his work. 
So we see that in both the, that New Testament verse and this verse. Um, it's not magic, but it is powerful. You know, sometimes we have people who say, well, if you say a certain name or a certain word, you know, that God has to honor that, that's not true. Um, I think of that in the book of Acts, the um, Jews were casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And, and the demons said, uh, I know Paul, I know Jesus, but who are you? <laughs> and beat them up. Um, so God's word is powerful. And the result is that they went back to work. They went back to work and, on rebuilding the temple. And it says it was the 24th day of the sixth month. So this is 23 days after Haggai first brought the message to him, just over three weeks. And we're not told specifically what they're doing. It just says they went back to work. So, you know, why did it take three weeks? Well, they probably had to figure out, well, let's get ourselves organized. Maybe that didn't count as work before they actually started the physical work. Um, you have to set up your organization, order material, assign <laughs> tasks, do some planning, and then you start, uh, start building. So let's go back to... Uh, quickly to Ezra chapter 5 and we'll look at uh, some of what they started to do here when they started rebuilding. Ezra chapter 5 and would someone like to read verses 1 through 5? Okay, so here we see that, you know, again, we got the two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, and, we'll, and they basically, Haggai was the one who originally delivered the command to start rebuilding, but they both uh, supported them, and we'll, and we'll see that as we go along, um, how God used the two prophets to support and encourage them. Um, but we also see that they have some resistance here. There's some pushback from their enemies. But you notice it says the eye of their God was on the elders. God said, I will be with you. And he is here. They were not required to stop building. They continued to build while this inquiry was sent. Um, and I think it's interesting, verse 3, they say, well, who issued you the decree? <laughs> well, it was Jehovah, <laughs> the king of kings. But he needed permission from Darius. But. So 
we see that the work was not stopped and God was supporting them. And would someone like to read verse 8 for us? The king should know that we went to the district of Judah, to the temple of the great God. The people are building it with large stones and placing the timbers in the walls. The work is being carried on with diligence and is making rapid progress on the resurrection. Okay, so they were, they were doing a good job. You see, the, their, their enemies were impressed with the construction project. Large stones, timbers, rapid progress, and they're working with great care. They're doing a good job on this building. So, um, so they do have some opposition, and as a result, God sends Haggai back with another message to encourage them. And that's what we'll see in chapter 2, looking at verses 1 and 2. So on the 21st of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying. So this is similar to the first prophecy in one one, where it gives us the, the date, who's the recipients, uh, Zerubbabel, Joshua, the remnant of the people. Um, now the date now is the seventh month and the 21st day of that month. And so the year hasn't changed, so it's not mentioned here. But a, a lunar month is 29 and a half days long. So we're looking at either 49 or 50 days after the first prophecy. So uh, almost well, short of two months. But it's, that makes it 26 or 27 days after they started work. And one commentary said this, is, this, this second prophecy is, came on October 17th of 520. So it's about this time of year. Um, now, do you remember what happens in the seventh month in the Jewish religious calendar and civil calendar? The first day of the seventh month is the civil new year. It's a feast of trumpets. The religious calendar begins in the first month. The civil calendar begins six months later on the seventh month. So this is New Year's Day is the first day. That's the feast of trumpets. On the tenth of the month is the Day of Atonement which is not really a big festival, but it's a day when the priests go in to offer the atonement for the nation. And then on the 15th of the month, we have a feast. Do you remember what the feast is here in the fall? It's one of the three where all the people had to attend. Uh, booths. booths, yeah. Feast of booths. Good. And it was, it was also a celebration of the harvest. It's their Thanksgiving time. Um, and that starts on the 15th. The prophecy is given on the 21st. So counting it out, I have to use my fingers, but 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, that's the seventh day of the feast. The last day of the feast is the kind of the big final celebration. And this is, you know, all the men are commanded to be in Jerusalem, and that's when God sends the prophet for the second prophecy. So he should have a large audience here.
They are celebrating their harvest. Do they have a lot to celebrate? Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> we've been talking about the. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of a downer. <laughs> you know, they've had a drought. Uh, this, is, this is probably a little disappointing, a little discouraging uh, to be celebrating this. Um, they started construction. And what did we read about what happens in Ezra 5 when they start rebuilding? What do their enemies do? They come and taunt them. They come and ask them, you know, what are you doing? We're going we're gonna to send to the king and find out if we can continue on. So there's opposition. So they're facing opposition. They've also got a disappointing harvest. Um, so there's reason for discouragement here. Um, and then we'll, in the next verse, we'll see a third reason for discouragement. Verse 3. Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? So the temple they're building does not even come close to the beauty of Solomon's temple. This was a real disappointment to some people. Um, we, we saw this before. Let's go back to Ezra chapter 3. Ezra chapter 3 is when they laid the foundation Ezra chapter 3 and verse 12. Someone like to read that for us. Ezra 3, 12. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the father's house, houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of the house being laid. So many, many shouted aloud for joy. Okay, so we've got the old men weeping. It doesn't tell us in Israel why they're weeping, but obviously they're looking at the footprint of the temple and saying, this is a dinky little thing. Why can't we, why can't we build a real temple? Um, you know, so they were re- weeping over it. Um, now, the original temple was destroyed in 586 B.C. and it's now 520 B.C. So that's 66 years later. So I'm thinking anybody who's about 75, 76 or older would have been old enough to have seen the old temple and remember it. And so all those in their you know, mid to late 70s or older would, would know what Solomon's temple looked like. And that was pretty rare, wasn't it? Pardon? That was pretty rare in that time. It might have been. It might have been, yeah. But there was, there was some around, and, and they, were, they were extremely disappointed in this. You know, and Haggai says... How many of you remember the old temple? What does this look like compared to that? And the way he says it leads a lot of commentators to think that he was one of them. He said, you know, he's sidling up to these old guys and says, look at this, you know, what do you think? I remember the old temple. <laughs> this is, what does this look like? Um, you know, we're not told that for sure, but it's possible that he was old enough uh, to be one of those who, who understands how they feel. Um, you know, it says it's nothing in, nothing by comparison to the Solomon's temple, um, and so you know, they're discouraged, they're disappointed. It doesn't look like much. Let's go back to First Samuel, chapter sixteen. First 
1 Samuel chapter 16. Someone like to read verse 7 for us. Okay, so this is when Samuel comes and anoints, chooses David and anoints him. Apparently, he wasn't impressive. Remember, Saul was head, head and shoulders above all his countrymen. He was impressive, but David wasn't. He was ready and handsome. <laughs> he was ready and handsome, but I, he might have been short, <laughs> short of stature. So God doesn't compa- care about the appearance. It's his heart. What's inside? Um, in the New Testament, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Someone like to read verses 27 and 28 for us. 1 Corinthians 1, 27 and 28. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Oh, 28 also. He yeah. chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Okay. Actually, verse 29 says that no man should boast before God. Um, so again, God, God doesn't care what things look like. You can look at the church and we're a collection of odds and ends and... We have we all kinds all kinds of issues, but God says, no, those are my people, and they've got my spirit in their hearts. Uh, that's what's important. Um, so, you know, what kind of a building can we build that impresses that will impress the God who created the universe? You know, this is it Dubai has a tower that's a quarter mile tall. You think God is impressed with that? Sand. Built on sand, yeah. You think God's, yeah. You think God's really impressed with that? <laughs> no. Well, Zechariah also addresses this same issue here. So let's turn to Zechariah chapter 4. Someone would like to read verses 9 and 10. Zechariah chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever is despised a day of small things shall rejoice, and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. Okay, that's far enough. So, who has despised the day of small things? So that's basically addressing this issue. And they're looking at it, it's so dinky. It's this dinky little temple, you know. Um, and the, you know, the elders were criticizing God's work. God says, I sent Zerubbabel to lay the foundation, and Zerubbabel's going to finish it. It's my temple. Mm-hmm. And they were, they thought, this isn't good enough. 
but it was God's work. Um, <clears throat> you know, sometimes I think, you know, we got this little dinky church out here in the sticks, <laughs> and it doesn't seem like much. You know, do you ever despise this? You know, a little congregation, a little dinky church. I had, a year or so ago, I got a, go on a guided tour of Father's house where they renovated the, the former cinema. Their lobby is bigger than this church. And it's got a coffee bar. You know, I'm going through that, and I'm, I am really feeling envious <laughs> of all the stuff they've got. You know, the nice big padded theater chairs. You, you, if you've gone to the theater, they don't, you don't sit on a bench. You, they're, these, they're nicer than our lazy boy in my living room. <coughs> I'm, yeah, I'm thinking I would have trouble. <coughs> I'm glad we don't have those. Um, <coughs> but, uh, yeah, I was, I was going through and comparing this big, beautiful church, star church, and thinking, man, we got this scrawny little church out here. And, yeah. I, so I can identify with these people. <laughs> we got the same great big God. We have the same God, yes. So, um, God's identified here the, the, the sources of their discouragement. Um, and so he will give them a, a message of encouragement because they're so disappointed with what they see. Um, verses 4 and 5. But now take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, son of Jehozadak the high priest, and all you people of the land, take courage, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. As for the promise which I made you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. So again, God specifically addresses Zerubbabel and Joshua and all the people, the remnant of the people again. Tells them to take courage and to be strong. What's, what surprised me is there's an almost a very similar exhortation for Solomon when he was building the first temple. Let's go back to First Chronicles chapter 28. First Chronicles 28. Someone like to read verse 20 for us. Then David said to his son Solomon, Be strong and courageous and act. Do not fear nor be dismayed, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. Okay, that's the same message we have the prophets giving to Zerubbabel and Joshua. I started thinking, why does Solomon need to hear this? David had, David had everything ready to go. He had all the material, all the design, all the planners. He had all the workmen lined up, everything. Solomon was living, this was the high point of the, the empire. They had conquered all their enemies. They had, you know, gold was common. Silver didn't, was like rocks, you know. There was so much silver in Jerusalem. Um, why does he need this encouragement? And I think it's, it comes when, when 
you're doing God's work, Satan will oppose you. You never know what is going to pop up, but Satan will oppose you. He'll try to discourage you. He'll try to take you down uh, and get you to stop doing what God has asked you to do. So Solomon needed encouragement. And here, even more so, we see uh, these leaders uh, needing to be encouraged by Haggai. Um, But it says uh, to take courage or uh, be strong. I think some translations say strengthen, be strong or strengthen. Um, This word is really has a wide range of meanings, and it has to be determined by context. Back in Nehemiah chapter 3, this is, we don't have to turn there, but that's where so-and-so built this section of the wall, so-and-so repaired this section of the wall, they repaired this section. It's the word repair. It's used over and over again in that chapter. Then in the next chapter, Nehemiah 4, is where they, you know, they, they held a sword in one hand and a tool in the other. Well, it's the word for holding the weapon. So it has to do with rebuilding the wall or strengthening the wall. It has to do with holding a weapon. So it's used a lot of different ways. Um, and I think the way it's meant here, let's turn to Psalm chapter 27. Psalm 27 and someone like read verses 13 and 14. Okay, wait for the Lord, be strong, take heart, and see his goodness in the land of the living. So he'll be with you. Um, let's turn to Psalm 31. This is just a couple pages away. Uh, read verses 23 and 24. Love the Lord, all you his godly ones. The Lord preserves the faithful and fully recompenses the proud doer. Be strong and let your heart take courage in you who hope in the Lord, all you who hope in the Lord. Okay, be strong. Knowing you hope in the Lord, knowing God will provide and protect you. Um, and again, the, the, the basis for being strong is it the end of verse 4, for I am with you. Remember we had those same four words in the first prophecy. God says, I will be with you. So it's repeated again here. So, uh, and he tells them, you know, get to work. Go back to work. God says, I will be with you. Um, And that's the encouragement. Again, they have the authority to work. They have all the supplies they need. They'll have the protection they need. They'll have success because God is with them and doing the the work that he's commanded them to do. And that's the encouragement that Haggai brings to them. Okay, so verse 5 actually um, expands on this, and uh, we'll talk about that next week. So we'll stop here for now between 4 and 5. Joe, you want to pray for us again? (laughs) Lord, everyone, can I just thank you for, for your word? for the way it speaks, for the living word it is. Thank you for for, for the time and the studying and to draw these conclusions out, to draw the um, parallels to the different places in Scripture and watch the timeline to see where things are going. Thank you for that. 
Okay, for Robert and Scott Stoward, Tom, that you'll present the word to you and that we'll be here ready to receive what you have for us, that we'll be here with worshipful minds and hearts ready to spend time worshiping with you. We just want to thank you for the church family. We pray for those across the country that are um, over there that are suffering now with floods. California areas that are heating up. We just pray for your loved ones in those areas also. 